Cincinnati's ready for the Big 12. It was time for them. I am fired up. It's yeah. a blessing to be able to be in this league with y'all, you know, putting on for UC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Go Beer Cats podcast, part of the Cats Keller Social Club. I am your host, Brandon, and if you're watching us on YouTube here, you can see right from the jump, we have Tyler and Adam from the Mainline podcast here, representing the Oklahoma Sooners for us. See if we can't get some, some insights in what to expect this Saturday for Big Noon kickoff. Gentlemen, welcome into the show. Yeah, hey Brandon, thanks for having us. Uh, excited to be on here. Uh, we've been looking forward to this game for for quite some time. Obviously, Cincinnati's inaugural season in the Big Twelve, uh, and kind of getting baptized by fire. Week Week One in the Big Twelve, you get a chance to welcome in the Oklahoma Sooners uh, to Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. Fox Big New Kickoff. Joel Klatt, Gus Johnson. I mean, what more could you ask for if you're a Bearcat fan? Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about a big spotlight, right? Like Cincinnati, welcome to the conference. Uh, I think this is pretty awesome. It's it's too bad that we won't get to see too many more of these matchups because I think uh, we should have done this like, or the Big 12 Conference really should have done this like a decade ago and added Cincinnati and um, who knows what that rivalry could have been. So, But I'm glad we get to see it at least one year and, and at least uh, get to see it in Cincinnati, which will be pretty cool. Absolutely. For, for sure. I think we did college game day right here uh, two years ago when they came for the first time. I think they were not expecting the, the large crowd that they were that they got. So uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, show up and, and show out like we like we did for college game day here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited. Uh, I know I know Cincinnati itself is excited. We would be more excited had we held up our bargain of being undefeated going into this game. Uh, but we can hit on that as much or as little as you guys would like because i've not <laughs> fully um grasp that, mm-hmm. that that actually happened so uh we can get into that and that's kind of the perfect segue here gentlemen because uh in, in the go beer cats podcast we do uh drink beer on the show i was telling tyler before you hopped in here adam uh it is time for a beer which now it's going to be very interesting because I, I got a little announcement here. So this t- it is time for beers brought to you by the Del High Liquor Store, our, f- our first official sponsor of the show. Uh, and they have you covered for anything that you might need for the tailgate. Oklahoma fans or, or Cincinnati fans alike going to be in Clifton this weekend. The uh, beer, booze, wine, cigars for a tailgate. They got it all. And as I promised and foreshadowed on Twitter today, my, uh, my beer of the podcast is this water <laughs> nice grape propel water i'll join you on that one i got it at the liquor store uh and i'm announcing that i am officially going on a beer strike gentlemen like you've heard of a hunger strike people refusing to eat to protest whatever causes they've they've taken up i am t- going on a beer strike a booze strike overall I just like the name of a beer strike better. I'm not <laughs> drinking a, another beer or alcohol until the Bearcats win another football game. That is how shook I am after this loss to Miami of Ohio this past weekend. So uh, I'll be sipping on this throughout the interview, uh, and I'm looking to learn more about the Oklahoma Sooners coming to town here. 
I love it. Well, I hope uh, I hope you go at least one more week for OU fans' sake <laughs> on the uh, beer strike. I love it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens here. See, um, Brandon. Brandon, the crazy thing is, I'm actually more worried now for this game that you guys lost to Miami of of Ohio. Um, just typically, you know, you guys coming off of a loss. I mean, the preparation kind of ramps up a little bit more. The focus is dialed up. Uh, obviously, when you've got Oklahoma coming to town, uh, with Oklahoma fans, it kind of feels like for the majority of them, they're pretty confident going into this upcoming game because of the loss to Miami of Ohio. But I feel like once you really dive into the tape, you watch, you know, a little bit of Cincinnati over the course of the first three weeks. Not many people knew what to expect from the Scott Satterfield team in year one. Obviously, you put up 66 against Eastern Kentucky, looking and, you know, doing so in impressive fashion. Emory Jones, you know, lighting it up on offense. Then, yeah, uh, even though Cincinnati is coming off of a loss where, again, I'm going to call it a look ahead uh, because you guys are a much better team than what you showed on Saturday night. Um, it was a look ahead type spot, and I fully expect that Oklahoma is going to get Cincinnati's best punch uh, when OU rolls into uh, Cincinnati on Saturday morning. I certainly hope so. That's that's certainly wishing for the best here. I hope uh, it is not a, a Tulsa situation like you guys dismantled them last week, 66 to um, did they get the double digits? I don't know. It was, it was pretty brutal. Seven, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I think the spread opened up at 13 and a half. I think that's what I saw on, on Twitter. So uh, we will see. Uh, I'm just, I'm not nearly as confident or not even confident really, but certainly a lot of question marks. How, how do we answer the call after, after a, a letdown uh, like Saturday? And, and uh it's trial by fire. Like, like you said, it's going to, it's not, there's no, you know, we don't get Iowa state week one, we get Oklahoma. So we will see, uh, we'll see how we answer the call and it will be interesting to see how uh, Satterfield gets the, you know, the troops to rally and, or, or if they can this week. So uh, a lot to get into gentlemen. Um, I know uh, from what you guys have heard, if you guys uh, or know, did we expect a, a large contingency of, of Sooner fans in Cincinnati this weekend? I think so. Yeah, this there's two games on the schedule this year that OU fans have circled. One's BYU for obvious reasons. That's a great setting. I'm traveling out mm -hmm. for that one. Cincinnati nice. being the other, knowing that that's kind of an unusual, unique location. There's lots of OU fans on the east side of the country, uh, especially with D.C. and Virginia. A ton of OU fans over there typically go to the West Virginia game. Now, this is the closest one uh, on this year's schedule. So, And it's a unique environment. So I think the ticket prices are pretty crazy because, you know, Nippert's not the biggest stadium. So mm -hmm. it's, it's driving the prices a little bit higher. But I think we'll see some uh, quite a few OU fans in really, I guess, in 2010 when OU visited Cincinnati. That was at the Bengals Stadium. So yeah. that's, I guess, kind of cool. But... I think to most OU fans and most college fans, it's way better to be on campus at a uh, at a campus stadium there. So I think OU fans are pretty pumped for for this matchup. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Adam and I are not going to be in attendance. We made the decision we were going to go to BYU between those two options. But I do have some family that are going to be flying out to Cincinnati on Thursday afternoon. They're going to be in attendance for this game as well. They're really looking forward to it. Um, we're going to have to kind of pick your brain as we get a little bit closer to the end of this, uh, Brandon, maybe a good place to eat where Oklahoma fans that are going to be attending this game on Saturday, maybe some of the good hangout spots before and after the fact. Um, but yeah, th this is a, this is a really good matchup for, for Oklahoma. I know that, you know, coming off of a six and seven year where there was a lot of high expectations, Brent Venables coming back defense has kind of been something that has 
played Oklahoma for the better part of the last 10 years. We probably have at least one, maybe two more national titles if we could have, you know, fielded even a, you know, above average defense. But that's something that Oklahoma fans have been, you know, begging for. And we thought that we got that a year ago from Brent Venables. We thought it was going to be an instantaneous fix. And, you know, Oklahoma went to Nebraska in week three last year, beat the Cornhuskers by five touchdowns. We thought this team was, uh, you know, elite. We were talking college football playoff. And then reality kind of hits you in the face. and You lose three in a row and six of your last nine. So uh, kind of forced Oklahoma, this coaching staff, to go back to the drawing boards. We've seen a tremendous turnover from this roster. Competitive depth has been something that Brent Venables, that's kind of been the uh, the, the key word for, for the last seven or eight months, Oklahoma transforming this roster. Um, and again, it's, it's going to be a really good test on Saturday for Oklahoma. I think that there's some things uh, that Cincinnati does really well that could give Oklahoma fits if they're not prepared and don't execute properly. Uh, but then I also think that there are some things that Oklahoma can take advantage of as well uh, after watching the first two to three weeks of Cincinnati. And we can t- kind of touch on that as we do a little bit deeper dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, so, you know, starting off 3-0 and for you guys this year, and like you mentioned, coming off that uh, less than ideal season for you, first first year under under Venables. What have what is so far? What have you guys seen that's uh, that making you guys feel better about the team or, or confident this season compared to last? I'd say defensively, yeah. Last year against non conference slate, still saw good performances, and so I think everyone's a little bit cautious. But if you look at some of the stats there and seeing some of the advanced things like fewer missed tackles, uh, more guys playing at a extremely high level is super encouraging. Like the second leading tackler for OU right now is the backup linebacker, a second year player in Kip Lewis, who I think maybe he could be starting by the end of the year, but he's getting tons of playing time right now. And he's just one example of, um, you know, those young guys are coming in and they're holding on to what the first, uh, first string defense is able to accomplish. They're not letting up too much. And like Tyler mentioned, competitive depth is kind of the buzzword that OU fans, I guess, buzz two buzzwords really that OU fans have heard a lot, and we're really starting to see that. Um, you know, second string guys, third string guys contributing. It's not just one guy at one position. Uh, we're seeing that across the board on a lot of levels mm-hmm. defensively. Well, and and I think you hit the nail on the head, Adam and Brandon. You're going to see on Saturday, Oklahoma's probably going to trot out four to five true freshmen that are going to play meaningful snaps over the course of four quarters, and and that's something that Brent Venables has really done a good job job of, you know. Uh, Bob Stoops recruited, you know, like recruited his butt off Lincoln Riley, you know, took it to a whole other level. But Lincoln, you know, really kind of focused mainly on the skill position once he got the five star quarterback on campus. And uh, there was really once you flip over to the other side of the ball, the defense was always kind of lacking behind that. And yes, Oklahoma is still getting the five star quarterbacks. They're still getting elite talent. But you're seeing that talent start to be spread out across the roster, landing five star, you know, blue chip guys on the defensive side of the football. And I think that that's something that's not only helped you know Oklahoma in the you know the immediate time right now but it's setting them up you know for a uh, the transition into the SEC uh, but yeah I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a good matchup on Saturday um, I'm very curious to see what Oklahoma is going to be able to do offensively and particularly with the offensive line um, if you know if you've watched any OU football over the course of the first three weeks of the season I think that clearly Cincinnati has an advantage on the defensive line uh, when Oklahoma is on the field um, OU, again, call it call it non-conference, call it kind of figuring out what their identity is, figuring out the rotation. They've played probably seven, anywhere from seven to nine guys per game um, over the course of the first three weeks of the season. Um, so still trying to figure things out from a run blocking standpoint. You know, when you look at the Oklahoma standard of running the football, 
uh, we are below average, I think, across the board through the first three weeks of the season. So that's something that Cincinnati, I think, is going to have the opportunity uh, to take advantage of on Saturday. Sort of, uh, you know, going right off of that, let's uh, let's talk about the starting quarterback for the Sooners, a guy that uh, the last time he played in Nippert Stadium, uh, he did not have a uh, a career day. We'll, we'll say that he he uh, got very acquainted with one Sauce Gardner and uh, sort of propelled the the Bearcats season in 2019, uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, they built on that to break the glass ceiling into the college football playoff. Uh, give me your, uh, your take on him so far, that, what he's been able to do now that he's in an Oklahoma uniform. Th- thoughts on him? I know, I mean, his, his stats so far are pretty damn solid. So what's, uh, what's the vibe around him? I'll take this one and get on my soapbox <laughs> a little bit here because I've been the biggest Dylan Gabriel supporter, I guess, over his tenure at OU. Last year, you know, it it was what it was. The team was in a major transition. He didn't have a whole lot of help. Um, I think he wasn't always put in the best position to win. He got hurt. You know, it it was just kind of an up and down year, but I thought he did solid with with what he had. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a Heisman Trophy winner that we've had so many of here and that is kind of the standard. And so a lot of OU fans wanted to just chuck him aside and say, forget about him. He can't win a Heisman. He's useless for us at OU. And I think... Through the first three games, he's starting to pick up a little bit of support from the fan base. Uh, we actually tweeted this out earlier today from our account, and we had over 100 and I think 25 responses so far. Uh, just asking, like, what letter grade would you give Dylan Gabriel through the first three games? And most people are saying an A or A plus. Uh, a few people out there are still like, ah, it's a B minus, a B plus. I'm like, come on, this guy is top five in pretty much every statistical category that you have. I don't know what else you could more you could ask uh, out of him, even though the competition hasn't been necessarily great. But if you look at and you're watching, and you know Tyler and I, of course, as OU fans are watching him every play, uh, sometimes twice in most games, but mm-hmm. he looks much more comfortable uh, in year two. He's got a lot more weapons around him in the receiver game, in my opinion. Um, there, there isn't really like maybe one receiver that's stood out head and shoulders above everyone else, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just that, yeah, you've got several different guys that you can rely on. I think he looks more comfortable just overall running the offense, uh, finding the right guy. And now he knows too, that he's got a backup behind him in Jackson Arnold, a former five-star that a lot of OU fans are really high on. Um, but I think he's able to more freely run the ball. And we didn't see that element a lot last year because uh, we were so concerned about just quarterback depth and keeping him healthy. So I think we'll continue to see that uh, come into play as you know we t- mm-hmm. uh, face some tougher opponents to that quarterback run game. Well, and I think that also Dylan Gabriel, he kind of got forced into a pretty tough situation. I mean, when you look at how good Oklahoma's been at quarterback play over the last seven to ten years, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Caleb Williams. I mean, those are four guys that are going to be, you know, that are already and will be, you know, first first round draft picks in the NFL starting for NFL franchises this time uh, uh, one more year from now. Uh, but, you know, he, he comes into to Oklahoma and the amount of pressure that's put on you when you play quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, I mean, it, it, it carries a lot of weight. I mean, arguably, you know, Oklahoma does have the Oklahoma City Thunder, the NBA team, but if you're the starting quarterback at Oklahoma, you're arguably a top three, four most popular person in the entire state, and there's a lot of weight that comes with that. Uh, Adam mentioned the lack of depth a year ago. Um, we knew how bad the the rest of the quarterback room was uh, after Dylan going into the upcoming season. If anybody followed Oklahoma a year ago, they know 
that once Dylan Gabriel did get hurt going into that Texas game, Oklahoma ran the wildcat, I think, 80% of the time. Didn't even have a quarterback out there on the field. So here he is one year later. He had the five-star Jackson Arnold, true freshman, that we've seen play sparingly over the first three weeks of the season. I think him coming on campus has forced Dylan you know, to really up his game that much more, knowing that he's got such a highly talented guy behind him. And then the biggest thing for me is it kind of feels like Jeff Levy, our offensive coordinator, he's taken the handcuffs off of off of uh, Dylan Gabriel. He's given him the, the full playbook. He's got the ability to utilize his legs, something that Dylan's really doing well this year is pushing the ball down the field. He's being a lot more aggressive uh, in some of the throws that he's made while also taking care of the football as well. Uh, he's got an 82% completion percentage, 12 touchdowns, just one interception. So Dylan is doing all the things right, and we just hope that he can build on the performance he's had so far the first three weeks of the season when they go into Cincinnati on Saturday. Staying on that side of the ball, uh, you know, like Bearcats fans will, will be familiar with, with Gabriel, but uh, give us some other names to look out for on the offensive side of the ball, guys that are uh, more than likely to make a play on Saturday. Names or are, names are numbers that we should be looking out for. I'd start with Andrew Anthony, number five. He's been Dylan Gabriel's first deep threat option in pretty much every game. He's a real burner. He's a transfer out of Michigan that uh, really just didn't fit in that Michigan offense. And I think through three games already, he's probably pretty close to what he totaled last year uh, at Michigan. So he's clearly taken a big leap forward. He just fits much better in this offense. And he's a guy that Gabriel's going to go deep to. He's going to have some intermediate uh, throws as well, but primarily he's going to stretch the field. And he's been very effective at doing that so far far um, so i'd say he's probably number one for me uh he wears number five on the field though but andrew anthony's probably the, the guy that i think uh, bearcat fans are really gonna uh, if they don't know it i think they'll see that name if uh, you know if for nothing else for the amount of targets he'll get yeah to piggyback on top of that um, next one for me would be number three jalil farouk a uh, guy who coming into this coming into this 2023 season was expected to be the guy at oklahoma and he kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start against arkansas state uh, but he's really turned it on over the last couple of games. Um, and then another one for me, and, you know, this has been a guy that Adams talked about, you know, for the better part of the last seven to eight months, was kind of uh, tough for him to stay healthy last year, being a true freshman, battled some injuries, uh, some soft tissue issues. But um, Nick Anderson um, has really kind of jumped onto the scene. He had three catches against Tulsa, uh, went for over 100 yards. All three of those, uh, those catches went for touchdowns. So, um, I would expect uh, Cincinnati fans to familiarize themselves with a few different guys within the Oklahoma receiver core. I think that Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, um, that's going to be a huge priority and focus point this upcoming week is attacking that Bearcats secondary. They've had a lot of luck the first three weeks of the season. Um, and you go back and you watch some of the tape. Eastern Kentucky had just not too much success. Pittsburgh kind of ramped it up a little bit. Miami of Ohio had some uh, some you know good success attacking that secondary. Uh, mm. And Oklahoma's got a little bit a little bit different caliber of athlete that's going to be taking the field on Saturday. So expect Dylan Gabriel uh, to uh, take some chances down the field as well, uh, looking out for Farouk Anderson and Andre Anthony. And truthfully, like that may be OU's best chance to move in the ball on Saturday because running the ball has been a real struggle for the Sooners team. We've seen a lot of different running backs and no one's really stood out so far, even though mm -hmm. we thought we had some star potential based on last year. But it's just been a heavy rotation. The offensive line has been okay, but not not great. Um, so the running backs aren't really getting much on the ground. And with the interior defensive line that OU's going to face in the Bearcats, I, I just wonder, like, is, is OU maybe going to potentially abandon some of that aspect and just say, hey, let's win this game through the air potentially? Mm -hmm. Because uh, watching the Miami game a week ago, it's like, well, it, 
it kind of works for them. So like it, it took about three seconds for, into the game for it to work for them. Taking it 79 <laughs> yards from the house off the first play. It literally yeah. took three seconds for, for it to work. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, man, like might as well just stick with what works. It, it's like they almost didn't try to run the ball very heavily against Tulsa. Only 12 attempts in the first half uh, for running back. So it's like, man, that just doesn't seem like a focus. Well, and I also think, too, the first thing that, you know, me especially that I noticed when I turned on the Cincinnati tape, it was the defensive line, the defensive front that the Bearcats were out there. You know, Dante Corleone, Jawan Briggs, Eric Phillips, you know, two, maybe even three of those guys are going to be playing on Sundays this time of year, uh, uh, this time next year. So, yeah, I, it is going to be interesting to see Oklahoma, like you said, Adam, has done a much, much better job um, in pass protection compared to run blocking. So we'll see if Oklahoma can, you know, use this week of practice to make a little bit of progress. Hopefully um, they can run the ball. I will say this, if Oklahoma can find their running game on Saturday, I mean, it. I don't want to say it's game over, but because Dylan Gabriel has been so efficient throwing the football, been so explosive with the playmakers out on the perimeter, um, that's just going to do you know nothing but good things for Oklahoma. Um, but I, I do want to let well, go just ahead. to just to chime in there. We we made Blaine Gabbert the quarterback for Miami this past week. We made him look like mm-hmm. Michael Vick. So if he, <laughs> if if Gabriel can, I, I know he's he, he's athletic. He can tuck it and run. Uh, you know, if, if that is part of the game plan, if the mm-hmm. if the run game isn't working, you know, it's, it's running back game. Uh, there's, I think, there's some potential to be hurt that way as well because I don't know how many yards he put up uh, just rushing, but I I know it was a lot, gaining large chunk plays at a time. So if he can, Gabriel can extend the pocket or tuck it and go. That's uh, that's something to watch out for as well. Hopefully, some sort of adjustments could be made uh, in the Bearcats practice this week as well because. I think Gabriel is certainly capable of that. Yeah. Just watching the film, I think Gabriel's probably similar or better, you know, speed wise than Gabbert was. We just haven't seen much of it because he hasn't had to. He's found the passing uh, lanes where he wants to go with the ball. So he really hasn't had to tuck it and run yet. I think he he will be forced to do that against a good uh, Cincinnati team. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I think he has some speed and uh, some abilities on the ground for sure. Well, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what Oklahoma does at the running back position uh, this upcoming weekend because this has been a – um, you know, at least on paper, this was expected to be a really, really experienced, you know, really talented stable of running backs that we've got here in Norman. And, you know, they played anywhere from four to six guys over the first three weeks of the season. What we thought was going to be our top two running backs uh, in Javante Barnes, he actually had surgery on his foot during the offseason. He hasn't quite gotten back up to what he was a year ago. Gavin Sawchuk, who, you know, went for 100 plus against Florida State a year ago. Uh, he's been nursing a little bit of a, a pulled muscle. He hasn't practiced much over the last four to five weeks. But, um, yeah, I, I think that it is going to be very interesting, especially with – I think that the heart of this Cincinnati team, it runs through that defensive line. And one of the things that Oklahoma is going to have to do to try to neutralize that is the quick game, is you know taking some shots down the field with Dylan Gabriel and this Oklahoma receiving, you know, uh, receiving core. Um, but we'll see how well this Oklahoma offensive line holds up because I looked at the, the stats a little bit earlier. You know, Cincinnati's ranked second in the Big 12 in sacks right now through the first three weeks of the season with 10. Um, so that's absolutely no small feat in itself. So it's going to be a good matchup on Saturday. I'm excited to watch those two units go at it. Let's uh, let's flip the side of the ball here. So we talked about playmakers on, on the offensive side of the ball. Let's, let's flip it to defense. Uh, sort of, you know, kind of break down where the where the strengths are, uh, weaknesses if there are any, and, and the playmakers on the defensive side. I'll I'll jump in first so I can get the best <laughs> playmaker here uh, from, from Tyler. 
Danny Stutzman, this guy a year ago had something like 130 tackles, and I don't want to call it completely empty calories, but there were a lot of plays that this team was on the field last year defensively, so it was easy Mm -hmm. to rack up a lot of stats there. Go to this year, a little bit different. Danny Stutzman making plays all over the field, already has a fumble recovery, already has a pick six, several tackles for loss, guys sniffing out, you know, reverses in the backfield. You can't really sneak anything past him. Uh, This guy is one that, you know, I'll have to do some checking around to see what other linebackers are doing around the country. But at least through three games, I think he's right there in the mix, maybe top five for a Butkus award. Um, guys flying around. He looks like, and we talked about it at the beginning of the year, of like this is kind of a legacy year for Danny Stutzman. Is he going to be remembered like a lot of the great linebackers that Brent Venables has coached throughout uh, his, his career? Or is he going to be kind of like just kind of eh. and he's really taken a major leap in that uh, direction of being a legacy you know having that legacy as a great OU linebacker so he's a guy that um, is is going to be a difference maker um, regardless of you know the opponent or situation mm-hmm. yeah and just to piggyback off of that I mean obviously you take Danny Stessman with the first pick uh, you know 10 times out of 10 he's that good of a player uh, he's going to be pivotal in Oklahoma success going up against a mobile quarterback on Saturday uh, I'm going to go to the secondary here. A couple guys that Cincinnati fans need to be aware of. Two two youngsters, um, two guys that haven't played a whole lot of football, but they sure are talented. First one here is the true freshman. That is five-star uh, safety, Peyton Bowen. You're going to see him at two, maybe even three positions in the Oklahoma secondary on Saturday, depending on what formation and scheme Brent Venables chooses to employ. Uh, but this is a guy that Oklahoma – Defense has been a problem in Norman over the last 10 to 15 years. Getting elite defensive back talent has been something that's really been difficult for our coaching staff to do. Uh, and we haven't had a guy that that looks like this, that plays like this, that has the instincts that Peyton Bowen does. So look out for number 22 on Saturday. And then something else that is going to be really interesting, when you look at what Cincinnati likes to do offensively, you look at some of the playmakers that they have, like a D. Wiggins. Oklahoma's got a cornerback in Gentry Williams. He's going to wear number nine. Oklahoma hasn't had a corner that looks like this kid in a long, long time. Six foot one, six foot two, even with cleats on, about 190, 195 pounds, very, you know, elite 4 4 type speed, can run with you, can come up, make plays in the running game. Um, it's going to be very pivotal for Peyton Bowen and Gentry Williams, especially going up against this receiving core um, that I think, outside of maybe, you know, for sure Texas, SMU was good. I think the Cincinnati skill talent. Uh, might be one of the best teams that Oklahoma sees all season long in the Big 12. So it's going to be a tall task. We'll see if Oklahoma's up for it. And on the downside, the group you didn't hear either of us mention is the defensive line. And that's something that we um, just all offseason we're talking about. Like, is it going to be better? Is it going to be different? Because we really couldn't get any pass rush last year. And so far, mm-hmm. we're we're getting some some pressure, but not really a whole lot of sacks. Um, so it's just not come to fruition yet. Now, run defensive-wise, they've been pretty good. Pretty mm-hmm. solid, 2.3 yards per carry. No team has been able to run the ball in Oklahoma. I think that's some of that competitive depth coming back as far as like your first team guy is probably about the same level as your third team guy. Um, so you can rotate and stay fresh there. But yeah, like there's just not a lot of, uh, there's not a, guy, a lot of guys yet that have separated themselves and said, hey, on third down, on third down like I'm going to be a nightmare for that opposing quarterback. Mm-hmm. We just haven't seen that quite yet. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think it's going to be interesting too. And Brandon, curious to get your thoughts on this. You know, one of the things that Oklahoma has done well on the defensive line this year is stopping the running game. 
running the football has been absolutely no problem for Cincinnati whatsoever. Looking earlier, you guys are averaging around 240 uh, yards a game on the ground, five yards per carry. What uh, what Corey Kiner and the Montgomery boys are doing, uh, you guys are you guys are running the rock uh, with not much resistance from the opposition. So um, if if you're Cincinnati, Brandon, going into this upcoming weekend, what's your game plan? If you're if you're the offensive coordinator for Cincinnati, what are you trying to do to put Emory Jones in the best position to make plays to try to attack this Oklahoma defense? I think sort of the um, the the brand that Satterfield has brought in to Cincinnati from Louisville, I think he did this there as well, is balance. Uh, I mean, if you look at yards passing, yards rushing, we're 286 through the air per game and two 240 on the ground. So that's, I mean, that, if that's not balanced, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what you want. Close. Yeah. That's, that's what you want. So I, I don't, I don't think the, the approach changes there. Uh, you know, this past weekend against Miami, Corey Kiner honestly wasn't really getting it done uh, in the first half. You saw uh, M- uh, Montgomery take over for him in the second half and find much more success. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have uh, you know, running back by committee w- when you need them. If you know if one one guy is just not his night because I mean Corey Kiner lit it up against Pitt the week before so it wasn't his his time to shine on, on Saturday so Montgomery got the call and and he was effective uh, passing wise uh, Xavier Henderson has been uh, better than advertised for the Bearcats uh, in the loss to Miami he was targeted thirteen times he caught twelve of them and that's about as it's not as bad. good as you can be. Not bad at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, he he lit it up against EKU, um, so, and you know Pitt. It, that wasn't that wasn't his time, but I, I think it was D Wiggins that that was able to come out through that. So there, there's some d- different mm-hmm. weapons, different options, but it, I, I don't think Satterfield's going to change much. I think the approach uh, all season long will be balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I will say, like Corey Kiner, a guy that I picked up on my fantasy team, let me down this week uh, when uh, he wasn't <laughs> the hot hand and Montgomery was. And and watching some of the tape there, I think Montgomery's the guy that, as an OU fan, I, I probably don't want to see. I think I'd, I'd rather face Kiner. I just think he fits better with what OU's defense is able to do because Montgomery has a little bit more big play potential from what I've seen so far. Yeah. Well, and Brandon, uh, you know, for, for you and all the Bearcats fans listening to this podcast, one thing that I think should give you guys um, – you know, plenty of optimism going into, into this upcoming weekend, something that's got Adam and I and a lot of Oklahoma fans nervous. A mobile quarterback has been the kryptonite for Oklahoma's defense for the better part of the last 20 years. And you look at what Emory Jones likes to do. Yes, he's really good with his arm, you know, pushing the ball down the field. Accuracy issues, maybe a little bit. We saw it kind of more so at Florida than we do right now uh, at Cincinnati. So it feels like he's come a long way. But what he was able to do, you know, not just with his arm, but you look at Miami of Ohio. 100-plus rushing yards and one touchdown. He's very dynamic once he gets outside of the pocket. That's something that's really hurt Oklahoma's defenses is the lack of being able to contain a mobile quarterback uh, I think is something that really gives you guys an advantage uh, if I'm a Cincinnati fan trying to you know project what this game could potentially look at. So um, if I'm Oklahoma's defense on Saturday, if I can figure out a way to stop the run and I can contain and force Emory Jones to beat me from the pocket, um, then I think that's a blueprint to success. Uh, for Oklahoma in terms of them trying to uh, get out of Cincy with a win on Saturday. Very nice. Good stuff there for sure. You guys, uh, we've broken down offense, uh, offense, defense. 
Uh, how about special teams? Uh, strength, weakness, confident in, in, in your kicker. What's uh, what's the vibe there? Man, Adam. he just hasn't been tested yet this <laughs> yeah. year, Zach okay. Schmidt. He was a guy last year that started off pretty good, and then we started playing all those one-possession games. And <clears throat> I, you know, I think he had a missed field goal against Texas Tech and West Virginia that potentially could have won both of those games. Uh, it wasn't like end-of-the-game situation necessarily, I think, in either of those. But uh, it's just like untested so far uh, from that kicking perspective. I think Josh Plaster has been nice as a punter so far, better than expected, but we really haven't had to punt so much. Um, really, it's the return game that stands out for this OU team. Gavin Freeman had a punt return for a touchdown in the opener. Uh, Julio Farouk, uh, who we mentioned earlier, one of the wide receivers, he had a really long kick return on Saturday against Tulsa. Ended up fumbling right at the end of it, unfortunately. But um, the return game is something that Lincoln Riley almost just – for lack of a better term, he punted on it. Like he didn't really try to do much on uh, returns on special teams. And that's been a big difference, uh, a breath of fresh air for OU fans, because we're seeing the field mm -hmm. flip a little bit more on some of those returns uh, than we ever did under Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Oklahoma starting place kicker, Zach Schmidt. He's kicked two field goals this morning or this year has a long of 21 and he's a perfect 21 of 21 on extra points. So again, when, when you talk about unproven, uh, it starts with Zach Schmidt. So hopefully he doesn't get into a situation on Saturday where it comes down to a field goal uh, in a one-possession game. Um, I just we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. That wouldn't be good for Oklahoma fans uh, in terms of the nerves. 21 for 21 going into week four. That's a hell of a lot of field goals. You, you like <laughs> yeah. to see that. You like to see, you know, 100% there for sure. And that kind of, you know, you, you bring up the word untested. So let me not to say that this year's version of the Cincinnati Bearcats are the team to do it. They could be. We'll find out. But Oklahoma wins 73 to 0 over Butch Jones and Arkansas State. Loved seeing him crying on the sideline. <laughs> Couldn't uh, happen to a better guy. Yeah, I think uh, he, he's always been a turd of a coach. Uh, <laughs> the next week, a little bit closer, 28-11 uh, against SMU. And then this week, you guys boat raised Tulsa 66-17. Have you guys felt like the team has been tested as a whole yet this season? I think you could make – like. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but you could make an argument that SMU potentially could be the second or third best team that OU is going to face all year. We don't play Kansas State. Uh, we don't play Texas Tech. So it's like after Texas, then like who's the second best team that OU plays? It could be Cincinnati this week, especially like where they are on the schedule. You get them early before uh, injuries come into play. You get them on the road. They're, you know, that crowd's going to be crazy on Saturday for that first Big 12 game ever. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I don't know, like, Who's, who's second best after Texas? And it, it could very well be SMU. We just don't know yet. We don't have enough info. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that was a solid test. We know they have players. We have They have tons of uh, transfers from the Power 5 level, guys that OU recruited as well. So um, it's yet to be seen, but I, I think that SMU game was at least a decent test, at least to the point that we saw this team overcome some adversity, which we really mm -hmm. didn't see at all last year. Um, and so it's good to see that against SMU at minimum. I think the crazy thing for Oklahoma fans, I mean, Adam and I especially, it almost kind of feels like, even though, yes, you know, we're three weeks through the season, you know, we've got a, we've, we're outscoring opponents 177 to 28. We've got a top five scoring offense, top five scoring defense. Yes, it all sounds good on paper, but I almost kind of feel like I have more question marks about our offense than I do about our defense, which is something that is kind of unheard of when talking about OU football for the better part of the last 20 plus years. Um, but I think that this is the weekend and I've said it for the last seven, eight months when the non-conference schedule came out, you won't know how good Oklahoma is 
until you get into conference play. I said I said it was going to be Texas, not until October 7th, where Oklahoma truly finds out how good they are. But even though this team on paper and what we've seen them, you know, over the course of the film studies, the first three weeks, yes, they do look night and day different than they did a year ago from a personnel, from a talent, from a team speed standpoint. Uh, but I think that this is the week that you really find out if Oklahoma has kind of taken that next step. You're going into a what's going to be a hostile environment. I know that Tulsa was a road game, but it was just, you know, a short hour and a half drive down the turnpike. You're going into Nippert Stadium. It's going to be rocking. I'm thankful that it's not a night game. It doesn't give Cincinnati fans all day to kind of get liquored up, get the juices flowing, you know. Won't be me, but some of them will be. Drink one of those beers that your boy cutting, Brandon. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. <laughs> but it, it, it's this is the type of game, the type of atmosphere where if Oklahoma has taken that next step. You go into Cincinnati and you beat this team by two to three touchdowns. You 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 give this team an opportunity, or really don't give this team an opportunity to make this a game in the second half. Um, and again, I think that Cincinnati definitely has the horses to be able to make this a competitive four quarter game and really even outright win this if they get a big day from Emory Jones and Oklahoma struggles. Uh, but by no means necessary is this going to be a cakewalk. I think this is going to be a highly competitive four-quarter football game, and OU's going to be in a dogfight uh, in Nippert Stadium on Saturday morning. You know, I just have a, a couple questions left here for you, uh, gentlemen, as we sort of you know begin to, to wrap up this this portion uh, and however we, we move forward here to to talk uh, or to allow you guys to, to ask some more questions about the Bearcats. Uh, I want to let both – Bearcats and uh, Oklahoma fans know that uh, if you are if you are coming to, to Clifton on Saturday, uh, kickoff is at noon. Uh, it, but if you're looking for a, a place to tailgate, uh, I tailgate with a group called the Den. It's an open tailgate. Uh, you don't have to bring anything. Everything beer. There's a trailer with a television on it. Uh, everything is there for you. You just show up. Uh, so if uh, there's any Oklahoma more than uh, more than a fair share of uh, opposing fans come in and, and tailgate with us. So all are welcome at the den. Uh, you can go to the den uc.com to, to look up more info on that. Uh, we will have um, Cincy light our NIL beer, which is advertised directly behind me here. Uh, we'll have a keg or two of that. Uh, we, we will have breakfast bowls from this place called Cedar uh, in Covington, Kentucky. We have a DJ, Mike Wazowski, who makes it a dance party or, you know, with the vibes or uh, he, he keeps the vibes immaculate uh and it's just a it's five dollars for a game day pass so all that uh all that info is on the den uc.com so uh bearcats fans show up because uh fox will be there for, for big noon kickoff and if uh oklahoma fans need a, a home home base for the game the den is it for you guys so wanted to make sure i threw that out there while uh still have you guys Putting Adam, tailgating to shame right there. I was just about to say, I don't I don't know what the outcome is going to be on Saturday, how competitive it's going to be, but you guys are definitely kicking our ass in the tailgating uh, game. <laughs> that's for sure. Oklahoma is way behind the eight ball on that one. So, again, appreciate that, Brandon. Uh, I know the Oklahoma fans, they do travel extremely well, especially with this being you know kind of a one-off. This is Oklahoma's probably last chance for a long, long time to make it up to Cincinnati, see a game at Nippert. So I would expect the OU faithful to, uh, to travel well. You're going to see a lot of crimson and cream. Uh, this uh, this upcoming weekend around campus. Very nice. You know, so here's a sort of a, a fun question here for you. Uh, with all of the the great names that are in college football, can you give me the best name on your guys's roster? General Booty. Yeah. Oh, that of course. Easy. That that was that was that's <laughs> called a layup, gentlemen. Uh, yes, that was. Uh, I saw some interesting nil 
deals with with him as well so uh make that money while you can absolutely yeah. it probably won't ever see the field at oklahoma uh, but he's making he's making quite a bit of money in the nil space yeah. off of a off of a name like that for sure all the all the t-shirts that say i heart booty and stuff like that <laughs> very, <laughs> very nice i like that a lot all right so last question here for you gentlemen uh Whatever magical scenario it has to be, imagine that. But which side of the ball do you trust to win the game for you guys this season? Either you need a, the offense to go on a, on a drive to, with a go-ahead touchdown, or you need the defense to make a stop. Which side of the ball are you going with? Man, we talked about it a second ago with that SMU game, and the team, both sides of the ball, really did kind of step up in that moment. I don't know if I'm healed enough from the wounds of the previous six years or so of terrible, awful defense to say defense yet. I think by the end of the season, I might be there, but for right now, I still have to say, I still have to say offense. I have to see the defense prove it on a bigger stage. So I'm going to go offense on this one. Yeah. Same for me. If, if the ball is in Oklahoma's hands, if Dylan Gabriel is under center, final possession of the game, chance to go down there and either win it or tie it. I will be a lot more confident in that moment than I will if Emory Jones has a chance to to drive down the field against that Oklahoma defense. And again, I think Oklahoma has taken some positive steps in the right direction defensively. But again, it's three weeks of the season. It's inferior competition. This will be the best test yet because Cincinnati does have some guys, particularly at the skill position. You talked about a couple of them, uh, Brandon, with Xavier Henderson, with D. Wiggins. They can test Oklahoma on Saturday for four quarters. No doubt about that whatsoever. Um, I think it's... I will say this, though. I think it's more about what Oklahoma does and how well they can execute on Saturday because if Oklahoma comes out there and you see you see the Dylan Gabriel with the game plan that we saw against TC, or against uh, Tulsa and against Arkansas State where it's, it's a lot more aggressive, you're taking chances, you've got your foot on the gas, and it's much rather that instead of the, the SMU where – you know, you've got three receivers on Saturday that, you know, went over 100 yards and we only had two or three targets to those three guys in the uh, the offensive struggle that was against SMU. So if Oklahoma can execute on Saturday, I, I don't want it to sound overconfident or cocky, but to me, I think it just says more about what Oklahoma is offensively. And I just don't know if there's going to be an instance where Cincinnati can stop that over the course of a four game or over a four quarter game. So more about Oklahoma, more about Cincinnati, but the Bearcats definitely have the weapons uh, to be able to test and make things a lot tougher for Oklahoma than what we've seen throughout the first three weeks of the season. It's good stuff, gentlemen. That's uh, I certainly appreciate your time giving this, this preview, really the, the only preview we will be able to do uh, for Oklahoma uh, as it comes for uh, for football season. Certainly, some fun to be had uh, in basketball come come the winter time. So, certainly, maybe uh, reach out to you guys again there and see if we can't talk hoops for a little bit as well. So, certainly appreciate you guys coming on for football. Thanks, Brandon. absolutely. Appreciate you having. Thanks, us. Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. So, you guys want to take this at the forty two forty mark and sort of you have other questions you want you want to go. With, at, uh, with me at, or how do you want to do it? I've got a couple. Yeah. Do you have some Tyler? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got, I'll, I've got let one you, or two. I'll let you lead it off. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Brandon, first question for me, when you look at this Cincinnati uh, roster, let's start on the offensive side of the football. Who's one name outside of the quarterback, outside of the star receiver or the running back. Who's one name that if you look up on Saturday, late in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati, you know, has a chance to win this football game. 
what's a guy that's kind of flying under the radar that could be the difference, could be the reason why Cincinnati is in this game? Uh, a lot of uh, Bearcats fans like to uh, proclaim us as tight end you. Sort of, you know, of course, Travis Kelsey in the league doing doing great things. Uh, so I'm I'm going to kind of follow follow that and say uh, our tight end Peyton Singletary. Mm-hmm. He has uh, been the biggest red zone threat for the Bearcats so far this year. Um, for some reason, and we can so- record a whole other podcast on why he didn't get any looks this past week against Miami, Ohio. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he, he's certainly effective in the first couple of weeks in, in the red zone uh, at tight end. So I, I really like number 88, Peyton Singletary. Um, and <laughs> to uh, to harp on this last week, our, our loss to Miami, Ohio again, we made uh, seven trips to the red zone. Uh, pretty much we had uh, we had 10 possessions uh, throughout the game, 11, but if you count the possession right before halftime, we'll exclude that. So out of 10 possessions, we went to the red zone seven times, and we scored uh, a touchdown two of those. Uh, so we could have definitely – look at uh, Peyton Singletary a little bit more, uh, but I think he's a, a guy you got to watch out for as a sneaky guy to, to come down with a touchdown catch if we're inside the 20. You have a really small sample size on Emory Jones so far with just three games, but there is a really large sample size on, on Jones from his overall college career. He's a guy that we saw in the 2020 Cotton Bowl uh, when he was playing for Florida, and we kind of thought, okay, this guy has something, and then he really didn't do anything over the next several years at Florida and Arizona State. So, you know, if, as it stands right now, his numbers are better through the non-conference slate than really anything he's done career-wise. But, like, how legit do you think he is as a true threat, or do you think he kind of is what he is? I, I think his uh, his last year at Florida uh, and then his, his one year at Arizona State, they were not ideal situations uh, as, as for the program. There were coaches in, in turmoil there. Um, uh, coach, uh, for, was it Hubie Brown? Or no, coach. I don't. Whoever the coach was at Arizona State, he he got fired. Uh, and then with um, Satterfield, his I mean his system really relies on a mobile quarterback like Emory Jones. So I mean he went out and got a got uh, Jones to sign here, who took over the starting spot for it for Ben Bryant, who was here uh, what started all for us last year, and then now uh, the starting quarterback at North uh, Northwestern. So I mean. Satterfield went and got this guy. He, he thought that, uh, you know, he fit his system. And I think so far he has, he, he's, he's been, uh, he was a question mark, I thought, coming into the season. And then I think he, he's answered a lot of those. He's looked really good at times. Uh, this past Saturday, I would say some of his decision-making, especially in the red zone, was highly questionable um, and could have been way better. And that's sort of a, a red flag, I think, for a guy who has played as much college football as he has. Um, I would certainly like to see some better decision-making. Athletic prowess and, and football capabilities, uh, I think, are as good as anyone. I think he's he's got a lot of the tangibles that you see. Uh, and I didn't really have any questions about him until this past Saturday. So uh, we'll see if uh, Lewis can't get rectified mm. as the season goes on. Yeah, Brandon, last one for me. Um, let's flip it over to the other side of the football. When Cincinnati's on defense, defensive coordinator Brian Brown if you're trying to put a game plan together to slow down this Oklahoma offensive attack, yes, we know, we know about Corleone. We know about, you know, how good of a front seven you guys have, but what do you think schematic wise, what do you try to do if you're Cincinnati to put yourself in a position where you can, 
you can keep Oklahoma's offense at bay, whether it's, you know, extending drives on offense, trying to keep play the play away or the keep away game from Oklahoma. What do you try to do if you're Cincinnati to slow down OU? Um, I mean, we, we have been pretty effective um, milking the clock and, and controlling the time of possession. I think we've, we've done that uh, pretty well so far this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not letting our, our safety or, uh, or Justin Harris guard your best uh, wide out. I know that um, he's certainly been um, suspect throughout the past two weeks against Pitt. Uh, I think he had three pass interferences. He had, he had four pass breakups as well. Um, so sort of a roller coaster game for him there. But then the first play against Miami, Ohio, he gets cooked for seven, a 79 yard touchdown. So um, I'm making sure that he's not on an island. So Dylan Gabriel comes out with 500 passing yards this game uh, <laughs> because that seemed to be what uh, Miami's plan was to sort of uh, attack Harris uh, as much as possible. So I'm certainly trying to make sure that doesn't happen this week. I'm curious about. I know it's coming off a loss, so I'm sure fan uh, fans are a little bit down on Scott Satterfield. When from just from an outsider perspective, when I saw that hire, I was kind of like scratching my head a little bit. I was like, "Hmm, that's an odd one." Like Louisville fans didn't really like him all that much by the time uh, he left town, and he didn't really raise that program ceiling too much. And I thought, well, Cincinnati, you know, they won nine games last year. Like they're no they're no slouch. They're they're raising their profile. They're coming to the Big Twelve. I thought, man, they they could have done probably a little bit better. Um, what what's the mood on the fan base through his first three games? This is a, a challenging question coming off of the Miami Ohio loss, right? Uh, we had not lost to them since George W. Bush was president. Uh, since I was a sophomore in high school, we we had not lost to them. Uh, so the fan base is they're uh, they got their pitchforks in hand. They're not marching down to Nippert yet, but they have they have located them since we put them away. Went since Tommy Tuberville was here, uh, they have sort definitely started to sharpen sharpen the, the ends of them again. Um, but you know, as, as far as him being a questionable hire, there were plenty of people, myself included, that wanted no part of uh, Mister Ohio State Luke Fickle coming down and taking over our program. Right. He was he had a the Ohio State's only losing season uh, in the past, I don't know, like 40 years or something when he took over as coach there. And there were plenty of people who, who doubted him. It was now he comes here, takes the program to New Heights, college football playoff and everything. And then you have Satterfield and it's a wait and see game. Uh, and, you know, uh, vibes were high after the pit win and they quickly came right back down after the Miami loss. So, uh I still think it's it's a apparently he was he was the second choice after Fickle the when we hired Luke Fickle so he was right there in, in the finals you know who are we going to pick is it going to be Satterfield or, or Fickle uh, that round of of the coaching uh, carousel or, or whatever you want to call it so uh, I'm not going to you know uh, run the man out of town yet there's still plenty of football to be had here Luke Fickle was four and eight his first year here uh there are plenty of you know it's, it's year one in, in the big 12 uh, we have 26 new guys on the roster from, from last year after the NFL draft and uh you know people hitting the portal so uh all since the summer we said if we can get to six and six in a bowl game year one we would be happy with that um, we just didn't expect to lose to Miami, Ohio on the way. 
Well, that kind of ties in. I've got two more questions here for you. One serious one, one kind of silly off the cuff. Uh, you do look at the rest of your schedule, Brandon, and obviously it starts with Oklahoma this weekend. You've got the road trip out to Provo to take on BYU. And then during the month of October, what we thought was going to be a pretty pretty daunting stretch for the Bearcats, you've got Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. We could do an entire episode uh, on what is the debacle going on in Stillwater, Oklahoma right now. But then you close out the year with UCF at Houston, at West Virginia, and Kansas. So you're sitting here 2-1. and one. Is the expectation still six to seven wins, or do you think that Cincinnati has all the ingredients uh, to make this maybe an eight or nine win type season? They have the ingredients, sure, especially if there are, are teams in the Big 12 that follow their you know, current uh, projections or, or, or whatever, their uh, trajectory, I guess, is what I, the word I was looking for there. Uh, I'd still be more than happy with six and six. I think – Miami, Ohio came, it was basically a coin flip game, right? It was, it was overtime. Uh, they blocked a field goal at the, at the gun uh, to send it to overtime. Uh, if, if that doesn't happen, you know, it, it's a, a game over. I expect us to play in more of those tight games where it's coming down to a last second field goal. Maybe it comes down to uh, the, you know, the weird overtime rules in, in college uh, and it comes down to, to a single play. I think we're, we're not done seeing those type of games and hopefully, you know, the Bearcats come out on the right side of those more often than not uh, as we play some teams who are not necessarily living up to expectations so far. Last one for me, Brandon, I'll throw it back over to Adam. Brandon, you've got to place a bet this upcoming weekend. Which do you feel more confident in? Oklahoma minus 14 and a half or Oregon minus 21 and a half against Colorado? Mm. <laughs> I, I don't I, I've not seen anything yet to bet against Dion. Um I think he's full of surprises. And uh, uh I, I'd probably say Honestly, it, it would probably be more confident in, in the Oklahoma line right now. Wow. And that's kind of where I was going for my, my final question is just uh, give us a score prediction for what you think will happen and I guess just expectations for uh, the game on Saturday. Um, honestly, I would say from what I saw last year to this year, I would say Oklahoma has improved much more rapidly than I would have uh thought that they would have, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I forget exactly what it was, but Oklahoma was like 120. I don't know. They were in the 100s of overall like at defense. The bottom. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so that, 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 that has been great here. I, um, what I would, I would love to keep it close. I, I would love to see a, you know, I think, I think both teams are more than capable of scoring points. I'm going to say that the, uh, the, the seven road trips to the red zone and scoring two touchdowns was a fluke this uh, this past week. Um, I, I think it'd be um, I don't know. We'll go we'll go thirty three forty. Higher scoring than I, I probably would go. I, 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 I'm, I say after this weekend, I say Oklahoma will will definitely. I would definitely, if I was going to bet, I, I would, I would take that, uh, that Oklahoma money line. Uh, but I think there'll be some points scored. So I, I don't know what the, uh, the under over is, but, uh, I would certainly maybe favor the, the over there as well. It's a great question. 
<laughs> well, uh, well, thanks for allowing us the opportunity to be on your podcast, Brandon, and giving us your time to, to let us answer some questions or ask some questions about Cincinnati as well. Um, do you want to give some shout outs to uh, where listeners can find your content? Yeah. Um, so it's the, the podcast or is go the go beer cats podcast streaming anywhere you can, you can possibly find podcasts and on YouTube as well. Um, social media all across all social media is go beer cats. Uh, and, uh, I'm a part of a larger umbrella of, uh, Cincinnati fans called the cats Keller social club. The cats Keller is a, is a bar on campus. And we sort of, uh, took our name from that It's a bar that you can actually go into during games it's 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 in tuc uh there's some signage there if if you're coming to nipper on, on saturday um so we have a we have a discord the cats color social club discord you can find a lot of uh, bearcats talk there so it's uh go bearcats everywhere and the cats color social club on on twitter and uh discord as well awesome well thanks so much brandon definitely appreciate it gentlemen cool